Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. People who are dead for three days or, matter of fact, pick a number of days, they don't ordinarily come back to life. That is absolutely true. That's what makes this an outstanding miracle. There are only a couple of instances in history that record someone who was convincingly dead being resurrected. It certainly isn't the kind of thing that happens often or by accident. One of the most notable events was the resurrection of Jesus, having been dead and in the tomb three days. Not only is this the greatest of the wondrous signs described by John in his New Testament book, it's the very foundation upon which Christianity is built. I invite you to stay tuned as Dr Corbett explores the resurrection and Christ's triumph. We come now to what might be the climax of John's Gospel. We've already seen that John starts out by telling us that he's writing this Gospel because he wants to bring people to faith in Christ. He wants them to, here's the key word, believe. And John isn't just seeking to emotionally register with people, although there's plenty to be emotionally drawn to Christ about in John's epistle. He doesn't just want to socially persuade you just because there's a lot of people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. His his means of having his readers come to believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was is based on what he calls evidence. He wants to give good reasons for believing that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be and who the apostles would go on to claim he really was. Now, this is in contradiction to some progressive Christian leaders. And when we when we use the word progressive, we're using as they intend it to be used. They, they use this word very deliberately, where they say Christianity began very primitively, but now we have progressed to have higher knowledge We understand that the ancients had this very supernatural way of looking at the world, but now we're more scientifically enlightened. We have progressed to see that miracles don't really happen. Supernatural doesn't really happen. The reason the wind blows is is purely based on science, not because God or the gods have done something to orchestrate or manipulate weather patterns and so on. And they claim that they have now progressed. They have, in another word, liberated scripture. So they're often called theological liberals because they've freed up scripture away from all the mythological nonsense. Now, in some respects, I recently heard a young progressive liberal Christian leader say, but he still holds to the myths. He just doesn't believe they're true, but he believes they have some value in informing us about how we should be kind to others and how we should relate to people. But perhaps more dangerously, he said Jesus Christ was really just an ordinary man and John in particular has portrayed him as God in the flesh But he never really was. In fact, he went on to say, Jesus Christ was a sinner just like us who discovered that God was within him and he tapped into that. Now, I think what we're about to look at in what I'm calling Christ's triumph, I want to show you that Christ has triumphed all the the powers of this world to give him the right the authority to be believed. 
And that, what we're asking you to believe is what John is asking you to believe is that he really was the eternal God who became human. He became flesh. He inhabited flesh. But he existed before that, unlike you and I. We had a beginning when we were conceived. But when Christ came into the world, he was pre-existent because he was eternal and he was the almighty God. So we're going to have a look at that now. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we look at this part of John's gospel, help us to see what you have put into this word. Help us, Lord, not to put things in that we would like to be in or help us not to put things into this word just because we would like them to be true. But Lord, help us to see what you have inspired divinely for John to write for our benefit. And now, Lord, I pray, hide me behind your word and help those who are joining with us now via YouTube, via the internet, and even present, that they would come to know the truth as John has described it in this penultimate chapter. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen that Christ died. There can be absolutely no doubt, despite some of the wild speculation that Jesus didn't really die, there can be little to absolutely no doubt that Jesus actually died from crucifixion. The Romans were pretty good at making sure someone was dead. Despite that, around the 17 to 1800s, there were some wild theories from those who were coming into what was known as the Enlightenment period. This is the idea that science answers everything. There is no such thing as supernatural or even anything immaterial. It's only what can be seen, touched, tasted, tested in a laboratory. That's the only thing that's true. In fact, uh, one might say the only thing that is true is what maths and science can demonstrate. Of course, that statement cannot be demonstrated mathematically or scientifically for that matter. So I guess that makes that own that statement false as well. But there, there was a theory developed by liberal theologians during the Enlightenment period known as the swoon theory. Swoon means that Jesus didn't actually die. He just became unconscious on the cross. He was carried away unconscious, near death, but not quite dead. <laughs> and then he was placed in a tomb and he somehow recovered and somehow it looked like he rose from the dead. There's a, a lot we could say about that, apart from the fact that he received a spear wound through his lung and heart, where blood and John describes it as water flowed out. That is a terminal wound. That is a fatal wound. And also those who were there who saw it, uh, including the apostles, the disciples, their despair after Christ was crucified shows that they weren't in on some conspiracy or some fraudulent activity that Christ would be uh, you know, beaten within an inch of his life and laid in a tomb and then they would pretend that he rose from the dead. No, their despair was because they saw him executed. They knew that Jesus from Nazareth had actually been killed. So here's the thing, though. The Apostle Paul goes on and says, if Christ wasn't actually raised from the dead, like if he didn't actually die and he didn't actually physically rise from the dead, 
then Christianity is a fraud. And then what we have here is if, if you're going to believe that, then you've got some questions you have to be able to answer. If, if this was a sophisticated, fraudulent account by the early Christians who were making it up, they were, they were inventing Christianity on the run, so to speak, they would never, <laughs> they would never have had the first announcers of Christ's resurrection as women. The testimony of women in the Jewish world was not permitted in a court of law. That's how lowly the testimony of women was considered to be. But in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all describe the same thing, that it was women who went to the tomb early in the morning to put some spices on the body and so on. And strangely enough, the stone that had blocked the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. And presumably the sealed wax and the chains that held it confined in there were also uh, dealt with. And so what we have here is the testimony of women. If you're going to make it up, you'd never do that. You would never do that unless, of course, that was true. So what we have is in, in the New Testament, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ as the bedrock, the foundation for the truthfulness of Christianity. In fact, if you can prove that Jesus Christ did not physically rise from the dead within three Jewish days, three days as a, as a Jew in the ancient times would have accounted for them, which is just part of a day, then Christianity completely crumbles. If you can prove that Jesus Christ did not physically rise from the dead, as many have tried to do, Christianity, you, you would prove it to be absolutely false. Now, some might say, well, we know it has to be false because people who are dead for three days do not come back to life. And that is absolutely true. People who are dead for three days or, matter of fact, pick a number of days, they don't ordinarily come back to life. That is absolutely true. That's what makes this an outstanding miracle. Of all the miracles Jesus did, his own resurrection was the grandest. It was the greatest. It was his hour of triumph. And that's why I'm calling this Christ's triumph. And so we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, when Paul writes to the Romans about what the gospel actually entails, he describes this. He says, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. We see he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, for he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He goes on and says, at one point he was seen by up to five hundred witnesses at one time and Paul says to the Corinthians many of those are still alive in other words here's your invitation go over to Judea go to Jerusalem check this out there are people who are alive there you'll find them they're easy to find you'll find them and they will tell you yes I am a witness to the resurrected Jesus Paul in writing to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 and the the opening verse 
He says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Therefore, we say the resurrection of Christ was the greatest of the signs that John has described Jesus doing. Of the seven signs, we have the resurrection of Christ foretold in the opening, uh, opening two chapters when Jesus drove out the money changers and it says the Jews demanded a sign. And he said, the sign I'm going to give you is destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And John tells us he was speaking of his own body. And this, this his own resurrection was the fulfillment of that declaration by Christ. Let's have a look now. Starting in John chapter 20 and verse 1, this is the account of it. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And that's John's description of himself. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So what we see here is that Mary has gone straight to the two leading disciples, uh, Peter and John, Simon Peter and John, and she has reported a, 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 what, what sounded like a fantastical story, a fantastical account. The, the tomb is empty. He's not there. The stone's been rolled away. And so what do they do? They go to verify it. They want to verify this. And this is an important point that John is making throughout his gospel. Evidence, that is, the reasons that you have to believe in something, is verifiable. You can test it. You can check it out. You can put it to the test to see if it passes the truth of testfulness, uh, truthfulness. So we read on. So Peter went on with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. I'm going to make a point about these linen cloths in a moment because what John, the, the beloved disciple, what he saw became the trigger for him to believe. So let's have a look at this now. We go that, that when Peter looked in, he saw that Christ's tomb was empty and that the grave clothes were folded. Now, if you're a body snatcher, <laughs> someone who's come to steal the body, you're not going to take the time to do that. So there's a little clue here that what Peter and John saw when they looked in the empty tomb revealed that Christ's body had not been stolen. Now, this was one of the claims that when the soldiers came back who saw the angels come, they saw the stone rolled away by these glorious angels. They freaked out, ran and went and told the, the religious leaders what had happened. And they came up with this story. Um... Yes, okay, so this is what we want you to do. We want you to tell people that the disciples came and stole him away. That, that was the claim. So Peter and John have now seen something that tells them no one's stolen him. This is not the way body snatchers treat a, a tomb. So it says, Then Simon Peter came, 
following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So you can't imagine that people in a hurry to rob a tomb would actually take the time to take the grave clothes off the corpse and then fold them up neatly and and put them in place. That's just such an odd scene. But it was something that shows really the folded grave clothes. So when Christ was resurrected, when when he was raised from the dead, he took that uh, the cloths that had been put on him, the shroud that had been put around his head, and the shroud that had been put around his or put uh, under and over his body, and he folded them up. This shows that, that whatever was happening in this in this tomb <laughs> it demonstrated great peace, great composure, and probably this is you know me being speculative now. I'm just going to take a guess that when John saw that. John, who we know was the closest of the disciples to Jesus, you know, when they probably traveled somewhere, he would have noticed Jesus do something odd like this, you know, fold up his bedclothes. <laughs> now, someone has said, why did Jesus fold up his bedclothes? Well, was it that he was a neat freak? Possibly. Someone has suggested it's because he had a mother. <laughs> In which case, young men, here's a lesson for you. Listen to your mother. Put, get, your pl- get your clothes off the bedroom floor. Fold them up like Jesus used to do. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that's going to carry any weight with young men listening now, but it's worth noting that this is what they saw. So, in addition to the evidence of the empty tomb. Now, remember, they've looked in the empty tomb. There was nothing there but the grave clothes folded. So that's the shroud and then the cloth that went around their head. They saw that just simply folded. Oh, quite an amazing scene. But in addition, they, they could actually look in the tomb. There's the, first, like the, the, the large stone, who knows how many ton it would have weighed when it was rolled across the entrance, probably sealed in some fashion, maybe with wax, maybe with chains. It wasn't there. Like it was gone. And they knew that the women had no physical capacity to do that. It goes on, verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in. So now we know Peter got there just after John. They've looked in, but now John has gone in. He went in. He saw and believed. And I'm, 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 look, I'm thinking at this, thinking about this going, well, he saw the grave clothes. And it says he saw and believed. So chances are this was something that was like a signal. It was like something that, ah, that's what Jesus used to do. So they know it wasn't something that people who had never traveled with Jesus would have known Jesus had done. But this is something John knew Jesus did. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead so what we have here is these apostles these disciples are not being presented as heroes they're actually skeptical that the evidence of christ's resurrection bewildered them and and this is despite jesus having told them over and over and over that this is what would happen so what john saw when he saw the grave clothes in that empty tomb i'm stressing empty tomb it's not like there was any place to hide the body it was either there or it was nowhere 
And, and what John saw was enough to convince him that Christ had actually risen from the dead. So then we have the disciples returning to their home. Chapter 20, verse 10. Now, at this point, Mary is still standing in the garden with Simon Peter and John, who have now returned to Jerusalem, possibly to advise the other apostles. This is what's happened. But Mary's still there. She stunts. She hasn't actually walked into the tomb. She just saw the stone rolled away and reported back in her excitement to Simon Peter and John. But now she looks into the tomb and she sees something. So let's let's have a look now. This is uh, John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, I just want to remind you, Peter and John had gone into the tomb. They'd looked in the tomb, gone into the tomb, saw the grave clothes folded and so on. So we pick it up. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So the fa- Mary's failure to recognize the resurrected Jesus, whom she's about to encounter, testifies to something that must have happened when he was resurrected from the dead. So this is happening inside the tomb. She's asking these men, <laughs> who she maybe it's only later that she realized they must have been angels. But then something happens in verse 14. We read this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Wow. What we see here are a couple of things. Firstly, she didn't recognize Jesus. She turned around, she saw him, and, and she continues the conversation. But then Jesus says something to her that meant something to her in the same way that when John saw the grave cloths folded neatly, that meant something to him. And what Jesus said to her was, Mary, with a tone that she knew that's the tone of Jesus. And now having said to her, she's she's embraced him. She's hugging him. Do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my Father. And this tells us two things. Firstly, when Christ was resurrected from the dead, the beatings, the whipping, the scourgings, the abuse, the physical abuse that he suffered from the whippings and the abuse of the Roman soldiers was completely restored. He was restored physically. You can imagine the shock of having seen Christ on the cross, 
in a a, a, a brutalized, crucified man. And now he's restored. Physically, his body has been restored. And he tells her, my work is not yet complete. I'm going, I'm only going to be here for a little while because I am going to return to my father. Christ's work of redemption was to include not just his resurrection, but his appearance after his resurrection. And we know, according to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, that he appeared to James and presumably Jude, the two half-brothers of Christ who wrote epistles, as well as to each of his disciples. And Paul tells us at least 500 other eyewitnesses at one point. We read in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he had said these things to her. Now, Christ is about to appear to his disciples without going through an entrance. This is amazing. The door was locked, we're going to read. This is verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's verses 22 and 23. So what we see here is that Christ gives his apostles, his disciples, a foretaste of Pentecost. It's a pre-Pentecostal foretaste of the Holy Spirit. We also see that Christ gives his disciples a summary of the Great Commission. That is to go and announce the forgiveness of sins through him, through Christ. Now, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas is going to express his doubts. That's why he has become known as Doubting Thomas. But his doubts was really a demand for evidence so that he could believe. So later on we read John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, this is one of the themes of John throughout his gospel. He wants to provide evidence, good reasons to believe. So it says this, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The body that Jesus Christ had when he was resurrected was never again going to be subject to decay or decomposition. Never again. And that body, that very body would be soon ascend to the Father and he would be glorified. And the Bible tells us 
that what Christ was was the first fruits of the resurrection and what awaits us is a physical resurrection and glorification as well. Listen to what he said to Thomas. He, he then said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So Christ demonstrated his omniscience. He just comes into the room and then he tells Thomas, do the very thing that you said in private to these disciples whom I've not spoken to and I didn't hear you say it, but I know you said it. And that's what Christ offered to Thomas. Christ provided the proof necessary to support the doubts that Thomas had by giving him the truth. And you don't need more faith when you are battling doubts. What you need is the truth. Now, Thomas's response reveals that he was now convinced that not only had Jesus been physically resurrected, but he was God. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. So now John is going to reveal the purpose of why he has written his gospel. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And now you can have that life today. And the entire Gospel of John is an example of why Christianity is based on good reasons to believe. So here's the challenge. Having seen the evidence, having heard the evidence, the question that I've got for you is, will you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Saviour? That's the challenge. Because John has given us the proof necessary. And you may feel that you are a million miles away from God. But even as I have shared these things with you, something has been stirring in your heart and in your mind that tells you this could well be true. And I'm here today to tell you it is and it matters. And the truth of what I have shared with you could change your life for the better. So the question is, will you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that he is saviour. He's the only option for saving. You may be dogged with guilt and shame. You may be dogged with an emptiness, a frustration that has been nagging at your soul. And I'm here today to tell you, Jesus Christ is the one you're looking for. He is Lord of all. He is your saviour. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away. Join me in prayer now. Father, I pray for all those who have joined with us in listening to this presentation. And I pray that it's not just a presentation. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just to look at what the Word of God says. But Father, it might become life. It might become the very reason that people say yes to Jesus and Lord, I pray that there would be those who perhaps feel like they are a million miles away from God. And right now you would reach out by your spirit and touch them where they are at. And may they come to know you richly, deeply and sweetly. And Father, I pray for all those 
who have known you, who do know you, that, Lord, you would put it in their hearts to make Jesus known. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that we might know the love of God that John has described Jesus revealing to all people. And that, Father, in knowing the love of God, we might come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we will each receive the experience of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 25, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the resurrection of Jesus was discovered and verified by a number of people. There is no doubt that Jesus was resurrected, his body not taken by body snatchers as the Jewish leaders wanted people to believe. Christianity is based on good reasons to believe. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.